I'm going in. It's too big. Size matters not. Didn't go in. So it's big. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Hoth Topic, our spin-off show from the bigger show, the Sarlacc Digest. I'm your host Chris, otherwise known as Darth Dad on the SD show. Um here to talk to you today about what the fuck else? Star Wars. So uh it's been a minute. I'm a minute or two late here, so again, my apologies to Marco when he has to edit this shit or put my uh my intro song and shit stuff on. My bad. Thing is, guys, you know, fucking life gets in the way as as much as I uh Want to get these out on time? I working sixty-hour weeks and having life and feeling a little bit under the weather just kind of takes it back a bit. But here we go. Let's get this going. Now there wasn't a lot of news or really anything since the last time we talked on Hoth and Starlight Digest. So uh, I was online just a little bit this week because I, I didn't have a whole lot of time. But you know I cruise around to the normal pages and uh, our normal friends on the Instagram feed and check out what they're doing and, and get involved in a conversation or two. Um, and what happened this week was uh, Plo Cool's Instagram page had posed a question about did we think did anybody think that the Rogue One movie left the characters underdeveloped? You know were they underdeveloped enough to? to hold a movie on their own, did we care, yada, yada. And first off, you go into the comments, you know what's going to happen, right? And I had myself prepared, and, you know, I've been pretty chill lately, so I wasn't going to argue with anybody. But, you know, everybody starts going off on on negative negatively about Rogue One. I'm like, fuck, do we have to be negative about every movie? I mean, seriously, Rogue One is pretty damn fun. Um, I wouldn't call it flawless, but I don't think anybody was underdeveloped. I think, could they have gone farther developing people? Sure, but we knew where they were going to end up. We knew what the story was. Um, I wasn't looking for a big love story with, with, you know, Jin and Cassie, and I wasn't looking for anything like that. I didn't need uh, K2's backstory at that point or, or, you know, our Guardians of the Wills. We didn't need any of those guys. We got, you know, stuff later, but we didn't need anything at that moment. But everybody seemed to start blasting. So... This is kind of like my little version of Bantha Poodoo this week, though. I'm not really going to call it that. So I, I put in there, you know what? No, I don't think they were underdeveloped. Um, but we did get lucky and get a, a few books that kind of helped us out, you know? And I had mentioned how Catalyst had kind of changed the way I saw Rogue One and how it made it more of uh, Galen and Krennic's story, more more so than, than Jin's story as it was in the movie, Um and I said something about Rebel Rising really helping Jen's character, just just on the side, you know, not trying to say this is what you need to do to make the movie. And sure as shit, I started getting into arguments with people about you shouldn't have to read a book to understand a movie and, and going off and just being belligerent dicks as per usual on the Internet. And the point was never you have to read a book to understand a movie. I don't think we have to read a book to understand a movie. But those of us that can read um, do enjoy it, and it just adds a little bit of flavor to what's already out there. You know, you can't fit every single thing into a movie. There's a reason everybody always says, oh, well, the book was better. You know, way before Star Wars books and movies, it's always when when uh, a, a, movie, a movie comes out based on a book, everybody inevitably will say, well, the book was better. Well, no fucking shit. You get to be in the characters' heads damn near the whole book. So you know what they're thinking, you know what their motivations are, you get a little more of their backstory, you get a lot more when you're breaking off a, uh, 
you know, a 700-page book or 400-page book or what have you versus a two-hour movie. I mean, hell, use the audiobooks, for example. Any audiobook that, that you listen to, because I have to do a lot of that right now while I'm, while I'm commuting to work, you're going to go anywhere from 9 to 14 hours. That's a lot more time to develop character settings, everything else, that you don't have in that two, two-and-a-half-hour movie. So, you know, to, to bitch that you don't need one is, is kind of ridiculous. But what I'm trying to say is it, it, it splashes flavor. You know, it's the salt and pepper on top of the steak is what it is. It just adds more to it. Um, and, and that's where the argument started. It's kind of what I got the idea for the show from because what I'm going to do today is kind of go bit by bit. I'm going to go through the canon. You know, I've done it on Sarlacc. I've done it on the pages. And I've gone, like, deep book reviews. And I'm not going to go deep book reviews on all these freaking 20 books. That would take me forever. But what I'm going to do is kind of touch on each one of them and what they brought to the saga, what they added that we didn't get. Um, and we'll do that for each each and every book. I'm not going to go comics. I'm not going to go uh, cartoons or anything like that. We're going to stick strictly with the novels. But before I do that, and again, I'm not going to use uh, necessarily the novelizations of the movies because that actually started this argument, you know, back in March when the uh, Last Jedi novelization came out. And the big argument was, oh, now you should have put that in the movie or this, and, and, and you have to make a movie to fix or make a book to fix a movie. And that's not what that's about. There's always, always more information in the novelizations than there are in the movies. Um, I didn't need The Last Jedi's novelization to understand and appreciate The Last Jedi. Reading the book, were there like four or five things in there that I wish they would have put in or would have been cool to see or hear or understand? Fuck yeah, there were. Um, you know, namely, the the biggest thing was uh, Leia and Chewie at the very end of the Last Jedi novelization meeting up in the cockpit and how it was one of those moments where they both knew it was just them now. It was the two of them and the Falcon. Everybody else was gone, and they had that big emotional moment. Shit, it had me about ready to cry. That's the kind of stuff that, you know, that, that could have been different. I would have I accepted that and, you know, would have been cooler. But it wasn't there. I was over it. it. It didn't ruin my understanding of The Last Jedi. You know, nothing is necessary to get a movie. It just, again, I've used this term a lot. People can't see beyond their own nose. They just want to look at it face value and not go deeper and understand things that are going on. That's why I went so deep into, say, uh, Luke's arc um, back in episode four. Fuck, I don't even know what episode I'm on. Did I even say? What am I on? Eight or, I think it's eight. Um, but you goes back to, you know, the fourth episode, we go into Luke's arc just because people didn't seem to understand things. And it wasn't necessary that I, I needed the books, but they did help out. Um, and you know, that goes for any of the novelizations, right? Um, you go to the prequel novelizations. One of my favorite ones is episode two, which we're actually on the Sarlacc show right now. We're going through again, movie by movie, if you haven't been listening, but if you're listening here, I'm pretty sure you're listening there. Um, and we're halfway through attack of the clones right now. And I'm sure this will come up um, on this part uh, next week when we do Sarlacc. But when you're in the novelization, like one of my the, the favorite things is the whole uh, L- uh, Luke shit, uh, Anakin and the and the Tusken Raiders, right? And when he's going through that part, and when he's going deep into the dark side, and Yoda can feel him, you get that feel and that understanding that Yoda was trying to figure out what the fuck's going on in the galaxy right then, right? Kind of meditating in the dark side. Like, you figure out Yoda's that powerful where he can kind of teeter the line and understands them both, which I think we realize later in the Clone Wars that Yoda has a little bit more understanding of, of every side of the Force. But in that novel, you know, you get that he's deep in it, and now Anakin's in there. He's in the dark side, and he feels Anakin turning. 
you know, and then you hear the Qui-Gon voice. All this stuff goes on, and it was just a, a really powerful read there that we didn't get that it was cool in the movie, but you didn't get that super cool feel about what was really going on. And a lot of stuff happened in that novel. It was a, it was actually a really good novel. You take out the... If you just read the prequels, you would never give them shit. Because, again, on, we've talked about this on, on the show. Uh, the prequels, on paper, are phenomenal. They weren't executed perfectly all the time, but they were phenomenal, and the books proved that out. But it wasn't that I didn't understand the prequels. They stand alone fine. It was just nice to have that added piece. And I don't hear anybody ever complain like Plagueis. Plagueis is one of the, um, I would say, consistent, consistently thought of as one of the best novels of the Star Wars EU that, that's now Legends, right? But nobody ever complained that you needed Plagueis to understand the prequels or understand who Palpatine was or anything else, right? It was an extra book that added layers to characters and the storylines that you know we couldn't get fit into either the the two hour and ten minute or whatever it was Phantom Menace or through that trilogy um, or or really all six movies you couldn't fit that in about Palpatine and that just gave us that that bit there and I think that was awesome and I don't I never hear anybody complain that oh man what well, I need a Plagueis to understand this no you didn't it was just extra fun this is this is where what Star Wars is. It's not just a set of movies. It's it's a it's this whole galaxy of stories and each one adds a little bit and connects a little bit more. So again, that, that kinda of, that conversation just drove me nuts how how ridiculous it was that people just either are illiterate or just want to hate on stuff and don't want to add things to the plate and, and think it should all somehow fit into a two, two and a half hour movie. So now with that said, this is probably the most prepared I ever was for a show. Um, usually it's, you know, seat in my pants and let's fucking fly. Now, I don't know what I'm going to talk about, you know, as far as the actual what I'm going to say, but I did write down the damn books so I can go through one by one, although I could have just kept turning around in my office here and figured this shit out, but I did want to put them in semi-order. Now, the trick with this is a lot of these books jump time frames, right? Some of them will go from the Clone Wars era up into A New Hope. Some will be... 10 years before A New Hope and jumping to After Aftermath, you know, which is, you know, five, six years after uh, Return of the Jedi. They do do a lot of time jumping in these books, which is a little bit different than, say, the old EU, especially with the legacy characters. They didn't do a whole lot of back-and-forth time jumping or telling two different stories at once um, like they do in this new canon. So I'm going to start off with Dark Disciple. Now, if you haven't read Dark Disciple, this is one of those books that I really enjoy. It's one of my... One of my top in the entire canon. And really it follows Quinlan Voss on an attempt to assassinate Count Dooku. And the Jedi Council decides to go ahead and bring him in and partner with Asajj Ventress. So this is a cool uh, arc that should have actually was going to be an arc in the Clone Wars that they took out and made a novel. And it was fantastic. I'm actually glad they did it this way because seeing it on the the small screen in Clone Wars probably wouldn't have done it justice. You got a really, really great feel of how hard it was and the difficult decision that the council had to make to to turn a Jedi and make him become an assassin. Um you saw how close Quinlan and Obi Wan kinda were. You saw um Asajj and, and how she you got a lot of her background in it. Even though we got some of her background during Clone Wars, uh, the book really shed more light on it and her feelings and, and what drives her and how much she hates Dooku. And then you watch, you know, throughout this whole thing, her fall for Quinlan and vice versa. 
Um, just a really great story. Did it add a whole ton to the overall lore? The, probably the biggest thing it added to the lore was the fact that the council, the Jedi Council, was so desperate at this point to end the war, to get to Count Dooku. They were willing to send one of their own to, for a straight cold-blooded assassination and even team up with Asaz Ventress, you know, a mortal enemy, you know, for years and years during the war. That's how desperate they had gotten. So... As far as additions to the lore, do you need this book to understand things? Do you need that to understand in Episode 3 why they were so desperate to, to end the war? No, not at all. Do you need it to understand Clone Wars or Asajj? No. Is it awesome to add it? Fuck a duck, yeah. So if you haven't picked up Dark Disciple, whether you're going to read that book, which is a real easy read, it really is. It's an easy read, a fun read, everything else. Or if you pick up uh, the audiobook, which sounds phenomenal. They do the characters justice and it. It sounds great. Um, like I said, most of the books, I like to read them first and go to the audio version to see if I uh, if I miss anything or just give it a little extra oomph. Lately, probably the last four books, I've done straight audio because I just don't have the time to read. But Dark Disciple is absolutely a great book. Now, the next one we'll jump right into is still kind of Clone Wars era, post-Clone Wars era, and it's Ahsoka. Um, it was nice to see what was going on with Ahsoka, how how she went after she had left, and we're going to get a lot into that soon, see her again um, in the new Clone Wars season. But in this book, was it huge? No, not at all. It was a, it felt like an episode of the Clone Wars, like just a filler episode to see where Ahsoka is and her quick adventure. Um, but to see that she was kind of hiding out, not one to hurt other people, but still had that, that passion to protect others, um, that was awesome you know that that piece to see the this is the first time they ever talked about the the crystals and how they work now you know in the in the eu the red bladed lightsabers were always synthetic crystals you know made by the sith type, things like that and they were stronger than the, the regular crystals and could break them now we realize that a a red bladed lightsaber it's the, the crystal turns red because of the bleeding um, from forcing the the lights the the crystal to a dark force user's will, that's what we know now. And this is the book that first mentioned that. So as far as lore edition, that's probably the biggest part in here that was uh, um, touching on other things. Then later on, I said I won't talk about comics, and I won't really. But that comes up in the Vader comics too, which you if you haven't read the co those comics, and I'm a couple issues behind now, those are phenomenal. Those are about the most fun comics you can get in Star Wars. So I'll pick those up too. But Ahsoka, on a whole, wasn't my favorite um, read um, at all. It was okay. It was more like a, a a filler book or filler episode. It was okay. I mean, obviously I'm going to read them all. You should probably read it. But it, it's not one that if you missed it, you're going to miss out on a whole bunch. Uh, now, uh, one of my favorite characters, and I, I think everybody just about knows this that knows me, I, I like it, the Imperial Officers, right? So I'm a big I'm a big Tarkin fan. Uh, even when I was young, I thought Tarkin was cool. Even though he's this old man, made it through one movie, I just thought how uh, stoic he was and how how confident and cocky he was and just always stood there straight with his perfect suit and, and just so cocky, either whether he was with Leia, whether he was with Vader, you know, telling, being able to tell Vader on the Death Star to release him, you know, and, and tell him to stop cho cho stop choking him. just to And for Vader to listen to him was something like, wow, why does Vader you know, respect Tarkin. Why Why does this happen? So this one was a cool story because it gave you Tarkin's background on how he was raised on his planet and in the Outer Rim and how 
he came to know Palpatine and how he got to his position and how he was the first Grand Moff. You also get to see the uh, the relationship between him and Vader and how Tarkin kind of had a, a clue of what was going on and who Vader was. A clue. He didn't know for sure. But how Vader, you know, treated him with respect and was interested and how they had a conversation one time about Tarkin's growing up and Vader was actually interested and had a, a long talk with him about how he named his ship the Carrion Spike. And those kind of things, you know, that was impressive. That was fun. Again, did I need it for the lore? Do I need it to understand the movie? Do I need it to understand A New Hope in Tarkin? Fuck no, I already liked him. But this book, if you're a Tarkin fan, is cool. I know a couple guys didn't really like this book. It was kind of boring, and the, the point is always... Do I need to have a, a backstory on everybody? Do I need to know Tarkin? Kind of left him a secret. Yeah, you could have, but I like Tarkin. So the fact that I got a backstory on him and got a, a, a good feel about how smart he is, how tactical he is, how ruthless he can be, um, how his family was raised and where he's from and kind of, you know, the backwater planet and how Palpatine, you know, kind of helped mold him in his, in his career from a very, very young age before he was emperor and, before Tarkin was shit, you know, he was he was that piece. And then you had, you know, and they, they would call it the the triumph, the, the like the holy trinity of the the empire when you had Vader and the Emperor and, and Tarkin, and and that was really cool. So again, needed, no, loved it. Yep, get pick that one up. Now another uh, these two we'll talk about kind of at once, and the ones that I talked about earlier kind of started this whole discussion. Right, and I'll start with Rebel Rising. Rebel Rising is a uh, a story really about Jin um, growing up with Saul's partisans, how that all kind of kind of went down, and um, it's a good, it's it's a really good book. It is, and it does give you a lot more feel about Jin and Saul, and find out how that all kind of went down, why why they didn't have a great relationship when Rogue One came on. Um, I did enjoy that book quite a bit it's not a super fantastic read um not the easiest read but it was a good read and a good addition um but nothing really added to the again the overall lore so that didn't really fall into that thing where can you understand rogan without it absolutely i don't need it to understand jen i get jen perfectly fine i know what her role was in that movie her role was to you know help to get saul when saul wouldn't come in it was her father that, you know, helped build the Death Star, got the play. That was her role. It wasn't that hard to fucking understand. How much more depth did you need with that? Where people would complain that I, I don't need a book to understand. I, I need a I shouldn't need a book to understand. You don't. It's just there for extra added bonus. So on that one, you know, pick it up or not. It, it's 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 not necessary. But if you're gonna try and read them all and be a, a completionist, right? That's that's what I am. I don't want to miss a book. Um, you know, definitely definitely try it out. Now on the flip side of that, catalyst. Catalyst, I haven't read in, 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 a, in a little bit, but Catalyst changed the way I saw Rogue One. And I mentioned this a little bit earlier. When I saw Rogue One the first bunch of times, right, it was Jin's story, Jin and the Rebellion. That's all I'm seeing in, in this movie. And, of course, the Vader and Leia pieces at the end and Tarkin being recreated, which was obviously fantastic for me. But after reading Catalyst and you really follow Orson Krennic and Galen Erso and how they're friends... Um, but how really dirty Krennic is through the whole situation and really using, you know, uh, Urso to build these crystals and do everything and how, you know, even when, uh, 
say in in Rogue One when they landed to to take Krennic before he killed before he killed Lyra, all this stuff, and he says, "Grab the child." Or there's a child. Find it, right? Find it. And you're like, he's known him a long time. It seems. How would he say it? He in the book, it's quite clear. He never gave a fuck. He didn't know what the kid was, what their what her name was, anything. It was not on his radar. That's the kind of person he is. He doesn't care. He has his motives, what he wants to do, and fuck everybody else. And that's really what you get, you know, from Krennic. And then Galen, how smart he is, but not... He's he's one of those guys you would call book smart, not street smart. You know, that's kind of what Lyra was there for. Um, and Lyra always had a bad feeling about Krennic. Um, but Orson... Or not Orson. Uh, Galen would always you know, fall back in or get tied up or, or what have you. But it was it was a good thing to see that how Krennic treated that entire family. Um, but, you know, we kept going back to him, you know. Urso kept going back and working for him or working with him and helping him out. And But Krennic would completely lie to him and trick him into doing these things. And that that's cool. Again, do you need it to understand? No. But when you read that one, more than any other book out of everything I've, I've read in the entire canon, it's all of them. Um, that one changes a movie more than anything else. I didn't need it to understand Rogue One, and this was the argument in the, in the chat, but it made it better. It just completely changed my point of view of Rogue One, which I already thought was a great movie, but now when I watch it, I'm watching Krennic. I'm, I'm watching Urso. I'm not as much into the Jin cassian side. I'm way into the other relationship, and I, I think that was a, a cool bit, and I never got that from a different book. So if you haven't picked that one up, that's a must. That's a that's a Darth Dad Hoth topic. Get that fucking book and, and check it out. That's a great book. Now let's jump to Lords of the Sith. Lords of the Sith would be a badass animated feature, right? You know, going, I, I talk about these all the time too because I love the DC animated features. I think they should do Star Wars animated features. Dark Disciple would have been one. Lords of the Sith would be another, where I would be totally into seeing this. And what it comes down to is you get uh, um, kind of what flashbacks to Sindola, right? You get you get uh, you get Cham Sindola and the Free Ryloth movement from the Clone Wars. Um, they even mention his daughter Hera in there, so you're kind of jumping around to different eras as far as they're, they're mentioning people. But the the key is it's Cham and his group trying to take down the Emperor Invader because they find out they're coming to their planet and. That's who they're going to take out, and this is whole mission. And they they actually get them uh, shot down, and they chase them on the on the ground. Cool adventure, really awesome. But the but the whole thing about this, the best thing about it, and this happens in a couple different books. It's it's it the the, the point of the story was Palpatine testing Vader, fucking with Vader, and you see their relationship where he calls him his friend, and he acts like he's his partner, and acts like he's real close, but he is constantly constantly fucking with Darth Vader. Um, you get to hear... I, I love being in Vader's head in these books because he gets flashbacks of being a Jedi. He gets flashbacks of his friends. He gets flashbacks of all sorts of things. Um, there's a great part where they're around a campfire in the junk, in, in the woods, right? And they're surrounded... They obviously have their royal guards. And Palpatine tells the royal guards, you know, it's, it's time. You guys can take off your helmets. You know? And as they do it, Vader turns around, and you realize there's, you know, regular guys, but then all of a sudden you have one of them is real familiar to him. He's a clone. And then they start. he starts having flashbacks and remembering 
you know, his old friends and remembering the other clones. He actually had quoted out, what was it? I want to say he said Cody and Rex, and I, I forget who it was. But then the last one he said, he said called him sixes instead of five. So the writer kind of fucked up there because we know he meant fives, but straight put sixes in the book. But to the point was, you know, he did that on purpose. He had that, that soldier take off his, his helmet so Vader could see him for the first time and have that flashback just so um, the Emperor Emperor could fuck with him. And I dig that, you know. Um, it was also cool to see how loyal the guards were to Palpatine. Uh, there was a point where when they crashed, I want to say there was four of them, right? Again, it's been, it's been a minute since I read this book. But there were four of them, and the Emperor senses three. And uh, he's all, no, no, sir. He's all, he's still alive. He's all, oh, yeah, type of thing. And he tells him, he tells Vader to watch. And all he tells, the ended up being the clone, he said, uh, shoot him. And immediately, without blinking, without stopping for a second, hesitating, having a second thought, he just pulled out his gun and shot his partner in the head just because the Palpatine said so. That's how trained they were, right? There are a few moments where Palpatine had to use the Force and come out fighting and, and, and do things to, to survive in this jungle, but he would do it in front of the guards, but he would never do it in front of anybody else. Anybody else came, he would be like, Vader, you're going to need to handle this because I can't be seen using the Force. You know, they held back that he was a Sith to everybody else after Order 66. So I think trusting shows how much he trusted the guards and how, how loyal they were to him. That was a cool addition. It wasn't needed, no, but it was a badass addition. Then there's a point where they run into a uh, a group of of uh, Twi'leks, and they're kind of out of the loop. You know, their technology is really small. Uh, they don't have a whole. They don't have ships. They don't have a whole lot of anything, right? But they take in Vader and Palpatine and and the guard, and they treat him right and do all these things. And as they're leaving, uh, oh no, Emperor was going to kill this little girl, and Vader stopped him for whatever reason, and said we he might she might be used to us. So Palpatine takes him at his word. They go through all this stuff, and and they had helped him out. Well, when they're about to leave, he stops Vader and says, "Well, you have basically you have one more job to do: kill the uh, kill the villagers." And Vader didn't hesitate, just like the guards. He went there and he had to kill the girl and everybody else, just showing that he. He already, and he told Vader, he, it, you know, I'm not killing these girls. You are killing these villagers. You killed them all when you saved the girl. And that was it. We're kind of blaming him for that and just fucking with his head even more. So I think seeing how Palpatine and his relationship is in this book was probably the biggest part. Do I recommend it? Absolutely. Great book. Easy read. Um, fun whether you do it on audio or read it. Did them both, and they were both great. So check that out. So see how we are right now. We're into all these books, and there hasn't been one that you needed to understand the movie. Not a one. Not not even the novelization I talked to in the beginning or this. But these are fucking badass ads, you know. Put a little spice in them. Put, put just a little bit more seasoning. And that's what it does to the movies and the overall lore. And that's where people bitch about it. And they're like, we shouldn't need books. We shouldn't need cartoons. God damn, there's a whole badass set of stories here. And people just miss out. Now, the next one we'll talk about is Leia... Princess of Alderaan. Now, I didn't think I was going to dig this book at all. Another young reader book. Um, but really, um, turned out to be a, a good book and a good view of the beginning of the rebellion. How Leia, like at 14 years old, was in the Young Senate program. You you meet Aldo at, at this point, too, and how they become friends. And she's very much the 
Luna Lovegood of the Star Wars universe is how I see her. So when she came on, I, I heard a lot of bitching at Last Jedi. Oh, why is she in this purple gear with purple hair? And what's this? And how weird? And people bitched about that. I mean, like, seriously, we're in a galaxy far, far away, and people bitch about shit like that. But it was really explained well how she's different than everybody else. Like I said, like Luna, she she's she always has her hair matching her outfit. It's just the way she is. She's more freestyle, and it's it just... She doesn't care what species she hangs out with or dates or anything like that. She's kind of like Lando, the the female version of Lando there. So that was neat. That was cool. The other cool parts were, you know, um, her parents, you know, uh, the Organas, and how they hid this all from her. And when she found out, they were worried about it, but knew that one day she would come up and and figure it out. So seeing all that stuff and, and the beginnings of the rebellions and their base on Crate and... You know, th- those kind of things added to the lore. So that's a really good book. If you have time, pick it up. It doesn't, it's not a necessary read. It's not one that I'm like, oh, go grab uh, Princess of Alderaan. Let's read that one. But it, it is a solid book, and you can check that one out, too. You're really not going to hear me say, don't check that one out much. You will, but it's not going to be much. Now we get into the era of Rebels and in A New Dawn. A New Dawn is a story, basically, of when Kanan meets Hera. That's a cool story. Needed? No? Awesome? Yeah. Easy read, good read, fun read. It's it's neat to see how Kanan does try to hide being a Jedi, but how smooth Kanan thinks he is all the time. Kanan is like the Jedi version. Well, I guess Quinlan Voss kind of is too. But Kanan's kind of like that version of Han in, in this book. You know, you got a little bit of Han and Leia vibe with Kanan and Hera, which I guess you kind of do in Rebels too. But, you know, solid. You get a lot of his background after Order 66. Um, they talk about his master quite a bit. You know, those th- those kind of things are, are awesome. Um, do you have to have it to understand anything? No, but I think this is a, a worthwhile book to go through just to give you that, that background, talking about the rebellion and how Hera's already trying to, you know, recruit people. And, you know, she's a lot like her dad, but maybe not quite as, as crazy. I'm not a big Champs and Della fan, but I'm a huge Harris and Della fan. And, you know, it, it's, so it's a good good story there. Um, and, yeah, like, like I said, I, n- I never really think about it like this, but they're, they're very Han and Leia in their relationship. And even when it ends, you know, it, it took to the last minute for them to profess their love type of thing, even though they, they knew it was there. But, you know, good book, not great. It, it could have worked as a as an episode or an arc or another animated feature of, of Rebels or just do a, a quick prequel probably a three-set of movie to, to get the whole thing in if you even needed that, or three-set of shows, even if you needed that much. Now, I mentioned that I like the Imperial Officers. They're some of my favorite characters, right? Of course, probably my favorite Imperial Officer. It, it's close with Tarkin, but it's Thrawn. Um, Grand Admiral Thrawn. And I have all sorts of things where I'm I'm just hoping and pleading and, and praying and begging that he is somehow in episode nine. I th- I had him pegged for episode eight. I was just sure, he, you know, he was a big part of it. I was waiting for this build up. They brought him back from the EU for a reason. They talk about certain things. I, I was so ready for it. But in the meantime, we get Timothy Zahn writing Thrawn books again, which is awesome. And these okay, so I read the first Thrawn one and then did the audio book, and I've gone through it probably like five times. Now, with Alliances, I had to, to go through the audiobook, and we'll do them both at once. But um, the first Thrawn book, as you got his background and how he fell into the Empire and how he went through the Academy, and then you realize that the Academy was, was so basically horrible to him and how they were 
basically racist to him, you know, or speciesist or whatever the hell, um, to him, and just didn't treat him right. But it was against the rules where they were trying to fake things out, but or and, and fuck him up and trap him. But he would always smart him out, and how he grew in the ranks, you know, so fast, and you know, and he became a you know a grand animal. Growing through all that, and even uh, talking about the Chiss ascendancy, and him training up Eli Vanto, it was it was really. Really good. Uh, Scott likes to call him, you know, the Sherlock Holmes of the Star Wars universe, and I kind of get what he's saying, but it made more sense in alliances that I'll get to in a second. But how just so confident Thrawn is, even in front of the Emperor, like he has no problem, you know, saying what he wants to say in front of the Emperor. He's never at a loss for words. You know, it's 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 really cool. And they kept bringing up, and he threw it in, in Emperor's face early that he knew Anakin Skywalker, that he had been on a adventure or mission with Anakin Skywalker. That's all I wanted to hear during that fucking book. It's like, well, mission, what are we talking about? You know, that had me really waiting for another book. So then, lo and behold, this year, uh, at Comic-Con this year, they released Thrawn Alliances. And what do you know? You get the whole book is that fucking story about how they knew each other. So this one flashes back, right? We flash back to Clone Wars era. So you have Anakin, Padme, and Thrawn knowing each other. And R2. You never forget, R2 fucking knows Everybody, dude. R2 was at the the beginning of the, the war. R2 was in the war. R2 at the end of the war. R2 is here in New Thrawn. Um, R2's every which way. R2 is the storyteller of all this Skywalker saga. He has belonged to every Skywalker just about. You know, eventually maybe Kylo will take his ass. Who knows? But, you know, how neat was it that it, in this book, and it didn't occur to me until after I was done the second time, no, well, holy fuck, R2's here, and R2 knows who fucking Grand Admiral Thrawn is. But anyway, you know, you see how Anakin's kind of a, like he is in Clone Wars, you know, he's that rash young guy wanting to do things and wanting to save Padme all the time but keep it a secret. You know, Thrawn decides to help him out because he wants to learn about the, the clones, the Clone War. Um, he wants to keep his unknown region safe, his the Chiss safe, the Chiss home planet. But he helps out and, and gets them out of a bind. At the same time, you keep flashing back and forth to basically the the more future, right? Um, right in the middle of Rebels, right after Th- uh, Thrawn lost the Rebels on Adelon after the Bendu uh, attack, right when he saw the Bendu. So it's right after that, and Vader kind of throws it in his face all the time. Now it's Vader and Thrawn, um, how he had lost, how he kept, how he lost this battle, and how it must, you know, he basically just rubs it in his face all the time. But, you know, you can tell that Vader really doesn't like Thrawn. He's totally waiting for him at any point to show, give him any reason to choke his ass out. Um, I didn't quite understand that part because, you know, of Thrawn helping him before. But he, he was seriously waiting, you know, for some treachery to show treason, to do anything he could just to choke him out. But he kept staying back because he knew the Emperor favored him. So he couldn't just, you can't just kill Thrawn without getting some of the Emperor's wrath. Well, and throughout this, you know, he questions everything Thrawn does, but Thrawn's always asking for a little bit of trust. And he would bring up things all the time. He's all, there was a year, you know, there was a time back when I helped young Jedi Anakin Skywalker. And Vader was like, Anakin Skywalker's days up. And Thrawn would tell him, so I've heard. And this happens like six or seven times throughout the book. He keeps bringing up Anakin. Thrawn fucking knows, right, that, that this is Anakin Skywalker in here. Um, and Vader worries about that. He's all, how is my deepest, darkest secret known by anybody? There's no way Palpatine would tell him. Nobody knows. But Thrawn's that guy, right? And what happens is in, in the beginning of the book when he meets Anakin, Anakin has, uh, he leaves his hyperspace ring out and Thrawn's investigating it. And that's how they meet because Anakin's telling him to get away from it, okay? 
Anakin introduces himself through ship to ship. He calls himself General Skywalker. Well, Thrawn kind of is taken aback in the very beginning. He's all, did you just say Skywalker? And Anakin says, well, you've heard of me? He's all, not at all. It just shocked me. So you didn't think about that too much at first. Maybe for like 10 seconds I thought about it. Then later on, uh, we find out that the main mission, this is spoilers, by the way, for this book. It's fairly new. The the thing that Thrawn's been after and him and Vader are trying to go after, what Vader didn't really know until the end, was he was going after the Chiss children were kidnapped by another species out in the unknown regions. Children, females, um, several of them in two different groups were kidnapped and he was trying to rescue them. What happens with the Chiss is a lot of their, not a lot, there are a few of their children that are born and they're Force-sensitive. But their main trait of Force ability is foresight. You know, they can see a little bit into the future. So what they do is they're the navigators for the Chiss. They go on there and tell them where's an issue and, and turn here and go there and navigate here. That's their job. So that secret apparently got out and the big rival in the unknown regions got a hold of them and kidnapped these kids. Long story short, they're saving the kids, and Thrawn explains to Vader that they're called, and I don't know the, the Chiss name for it right now. He's all, but that translate to Skywalker. And then it was, and all of a sudden you realize that that's why he reacted the way before, because the, the Chiss children are called Skywalker, and they're Force-sensitive. So it was pretty neat right there. Now, the biggest add to that, which we haven't got quite the, the big payoff yet, but Vader asked him, he's all, so they're always young. Are they always female? And Thrawn says, no. There are a rare few males that get it, um, but all, male or female, tend to lose a little bit. They, and they might keep some, but they tend to lose it. But the way he said everything really kind of explained Thrawn. I, I think we've got it now that Thrawn was one of those rare male, Force-sensitive kids, probably used to navigate, grew up, and he still has just a, a, a bit of the force. That's why he can kind of foresee things, guess things, feel things, know things. You know, I'm getting a feeling that he's not a, a Sith or a Jedi, not like that by any means. Um, I just love the way they explain how the Chiss force sensitives are and what happens. And they had to have explained that the whole, there are a male, there are males once in a while, but everybody loses their powers over time. Young adults get less older adults, even, even more or less, but they, some of them will retain a, a bit. And I think that's where Thrawn is right now. And so another reason I think he's going to end up showing up in 9. Now, this is going to be a tangent here. I absolutely, 100% can see that he was pulling the strings this whole time in episodes 7 and 8. Kind of like he um, he manipulated Sabaoth in the old EU Heir to the Empire trilogy, right? Same type of thing. And I think it's going to end up being Thrawn that's been behind all of this. Like I said on Starlight, if I don't get a teaser of, of episode 9... And the last fucking thing I see is a dark room, but all you can kind of make out is a white um, admiral outfit. And then it, slowly the guy turns around and you see the the light, the, the blue skin face and, and red eyes glowing in this dark background. I will lose my shit. Like my absolute shit. I will throw something out of half. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to it's gonna go crazy if that, if that pops off. Now, I will be a little critical of this book, though. Do you want to pick it up? Fuck yeah, you do. Pick up all the Thrawn books, all you can. But Thrawn Alliances is pretty slow to start. 
Um, it does take until the, probably the third act in that book to really get going and, and really pop. Right about when the force the force sensitive children were introduced, that's when it started going really, really good. To the point where I reacted out loud. I was listening to it, and I think I was barbecuing outside, and I, I reacted. I'm all, holy fucking shit. And my son's like, what just happened? I'm all, oh, and I explained it in the book. He's all, is that the first time a book ever made you react out loud? And I really couldn't think of another reaction on any book where I'm like, holy fucking shit, out loud. I do it in my head sometimes with some books, but it certainly never happened, you know, out loud to where somebody knew I was I was freaking out. So that was cool. So pick it up, yeah. Expect a, uh, you know, a, a huge, you know, adventure that you're going to be in the whole time. Nah, you're, you're probably not off a little bit in the beginning. It's It's kind of tough. But definitely check it out. Now, this is where kind of where I'm going to stop for a second and, and go out another tangent here. You guys know I'm a staunch supporter of the canon. I'm absolutely 100% into it because I think the fact that they all link up, they have to do with what's going on now. They're not affecting the movies in a, in a negative way that where we have to go around it and compare things to it. But I do say all these books, you've noticed from me kind of explaining them in, in the real quick Reader's Digest version, version, right? But... They're missing that epic, epic piece. Whether it's like uh, the old Heir to the Empire trilogy, which is which I'm going through again right now. Um, I'm in Last Command now, halfway through it. Or you talk about the Bane trilogy. Those kind of things were just fucking epic, right? You can make trilogies of movies out of those books and, and see them as movies. With all these books in this new canon, are they great? Yeah, 95% of them are fucking fantastic. They're they're really fun. And I recommend all those all those books. But they're more like fillers. They're more like um, backgrounds of people. Just things that aren't absolutely necessary or new. Or even when they are new, they're just side bits. There's nothing that was as game-changing as as Heir to the Empire and the Thrawn trilogy. Hell, fuck, even uh, Shadows of the Empire to me is a little more mind-blowing. But some these books are these books are really good, especially the Thrawn set. Check them out. Now we're getting closer to the uh, original uh, time frame of the of the original trilogy because that Thrawn Thrawn book one ends right when right before he's introduced into Rebels, right? And like I said, Thrawn Alliances is right after Adalon. So and they're about to go probably fight the Rebels right after. They're talking about the Tide Defenders, all those kind of things. So we're getting really close to you know the last season of of Rebels. So now the next one we would talk about, really, and this is one that jumps around. Oh, no, I won't hit that one yet. Let's hit Most Wanted. Most Wanted I probably could have done a little bit sooner. Most Wanted is a uh, another prequel book. Um, as Not prequel like the trilogy of movies, but prequel to another, another book and character. It's Kira and Han when they meet. Um, eh, it's okay. It's, it's, it's pretty low on my ranking, so I didn't really need it. The main things that were added there was you could see kind of by the end. Well, you've seen them how they got together. They're all loners, right? And they're in the white worms. It's You get through the gang, all that, and why they're there and what they do. So I guess that's kind of cool. But the biggest thing I took away from it was the ending, kind of how you, after, after everything, you could see why Kira was going to go one way and why Han was going to go another. It, it just wasn't Han's thing to get into that, that lifestyle. That the ritzy, I'm working for somebody, I'm in the criminal underworld but making it type of thing that was Kira she had the the leadership ability all of that to be there Han was always going to be that adventurous smuggler type 
Um, and that was very clear in this book. Is it good? Yeah. Do you have to read it? No. Um, will I go through it again? Yeah, absolutely. I'll go through it again. I go through them all multiple times. But it's it's not necessary to the lore. The other piece would have been they did explain how Han knew how to uh, speak and uh, understand Wook, uh, uh, Shri Wook. Uh, because during the his dealings with the the white worms, he would have to deal with Wookies, so he he did pick it up there, and that was a nice little add on, but totally totally not required. Now we're really hitting into the original trilogy area era, and what we're going to talk about there is Lost Stars. Now Lost Stars is a great book, and the trip about that is it's a young reader book, but it's by Claudia Gray, and she can really do no wrong in all these. The characters aren't our normal legacy characters. You get bits of Tarkin and, and things like that, and you're on the Death Star, and you are you know the battle, so that, that really does help. But you're dealing with two characters we really didn't know anything about. And what these, do, what the, what these books do a, a really good job of, what this one in particular does, is give you the view of the galaxy, um, the people loyal to the empire and the people that think the empire is wrong. It's kind of like today's politics, you know, and how everybody thinks their side is right and what have you. Well, turns out one goes to the rebellion side and one goes to the imperial and stays there. And though they're in love and they're best friends and all these things, they, they have their jobs to do. And that, that was neat. Again, not required, not whatsoever, but you're, you're there understanding that, they were real people on the Death Star, which is why I made such a big deal. This helped me make a big deal out of um, the Luke's arc in, in our episode four. Um, how many friends and how many families and all these things that were killed on that Death Star. And then we're also at the Battle of Endor. It, it's just such a really good read, um, fun book. This, this is probably one of the closer to epic new stuff that you can imagine, but it, even though it was set in the same era and in the same settings you're just seeing the background of it right and and getting getting to feel you know rebel soldiers thinking um imperials thinking that kind of it's awesome that that's a really solid book she does great i can't wait to read uh, master and apprentice and see how she knocks that out now for the most part they've kind of left alone the the time within the original trilogy besides really lost stars that's really the only thing that that of importance that's that's during it that's going to add a lot. Besides, I, I'm lying, besides the Battlefront books. The Battlefront books take place there, too. You have uh, Twilight Company and Inferno Squad. Twilight Company was the first one um, when it, Battlefront 1 came out, and it was from basically from the Rebellion's point of view and their soldiers and how they were and how they fought. Then Inferno Squad is the Imperial side. So, again, when it comes down to humanizing people and humanizing the characters and thinking of the stormtroopers and the pilots and everybody more than just mass. They're not robots. They're people with families, with feelings, with thoughts, all this stuff. I mean, really, really good books there. Um, specifically Inferno Squad. It took me two times to really get in a Twilight Company to even like it. I, I didn't like it the first time at all, and everybody swears by it. I still don't swear by it. Um, it's a decent read. I probably won't go through it again. But Inferno Squad might be worth another read um, in the near future. That, that was a pretty good one. And obviously it tied into the game, so that was neat as well. Oh, and oh, we ha we did this one in, in pretty good depth on Sarlacc is, uh, from a certain point of view. That one had a, a good 40 stories in it from 40 different authors. 
Um, that's a really fucking fun book. Absolutely unnecessary to any movie to understand it, but you're basically in the cantina in the, with the background characters, whether it be, you know, Greedo or Muftak or whoever the fuck. You're right. You're you're in the in the background of these. Now, what it does add, what I would say, the the big, and I, I get certain point of view. It's 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 awesome. You can skip probably about six or seven of the stories because they're bullshit. But the other 32, 33, 34 stories are, are really solid. But it has three stories about force ghosts, you know, and that's that's what you want to get into. There's the point where um, the Jawas were all killed and slaughtered on Tatooine, right? While Luke's gone, Qui-Gon comes and talks to Obi-Wan, and that's awesome. And, and kind of the end of that was Qui-Gon, uh, or Obi-Wan says, well, we'll see you, see you later, my friend. And Qui-Gon in his head is thinking, sooner than you think. And, you know, meaning that he's going to come and become one with the Force. Then there's the point where the the blade is going through Obi-Wan, and Obi-Wan becomes one with the Force. And that's a, that's a, that's a pretty good one. Um, there's some redundant pieces in it, but yeah, that's, that's a that's a great story. And the other one is Yoda on Dagobah. You know, a probe droid actually hit Dagobah, and, and you go through that piece where he destroys that. But then uh, Obi-Wan visits him and talks about it's time to train Skywalker. And Yoda gets excited thinking it's going to be Leia he wants. And he's like, no, I want to train the boy. And Yoda actually does not want to train Luke. He wants to train Leia. Thinks she's going to be the chosen one, the, the new one. And Obi-Wan talks him into it. But, you know, that was a really cool story. Certain point of view is definitely worth a pickup. Um, even just to understand that when Yoda pulls his robe up over his shoulders in Return of the Jedi to Die, that's Qui-Gon's robe. You know, that, that's there's some cool, cool ads. And Born the Storm is probably yeah, my favorite story in that one, besides the, the Force Ghost stuff. It's just outrageously fun, and I love that one. So at this point now, we're going to jump in probably to the most uncharted territory of uh, the entire canon, and that's the post-Return of the Jedi era. Um, they haven't filled in a lot, and I would assume the reason they haven't, and I mean, it only makes sense, is that they're not done with the movies yet. So you don't want to start filling in a ton of pieces um, between the originals and the sequels so they can give uh, you know J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson at the time uh, free reign to make changes and, and, and do things they want. If you tied it down too much, you'd end up in a position of the EU where things started contradicting each other. So it is smart to hold off, but they do have a few things that, that added a bit. It didn't, you know, they can go overboard and, and and change anything. And and the first of those, and the first book that actually came out in the new canon by itself was Aftermath. What is called, what is do the Aftermath trilogy by itself real fast? The Aftermath trilogy kind of set up, and it's it's similar to, you think about Air of the Empire, but this one's much, much sooner. It's right after. Just because the Rebels beat the Empire doesn't mean the war was over. It doesn't mean that everything was all of a sudden going to be positive and cheery and cheerful. People actually did support the Empire, regular people. It, it's not like everybody hated them. You know, there was a good portion that, that did like them. Again, politics today, right? So they still had supporters. They still had things. There was still war going on, fights, uh, remnants of the Empire, all of that. You know, we ended up with uh, Admiral Ray Sloan, which is a, a great character they follow throughout this entire thing. You know, we meet... Snap Wexley, you know, the pilot from The Force Awakens that was mysteriously missing in 8, but's back for 9. Uh, these kind of cool things. Um, Bones, his battle droid that he turns, 
that at snap turns into a like a killing machine. A lot of cool characters in here. Um, Sinjir Rasvilas, probably one of my favorite characters in Aftermath. Now, here's the trick of this. Trying to read Aftermath itself, the first one, was the biggest fucking chore out of all this canon. That book fucking sucked the first time I read it. I went through it. I went after going through the whole trilogy. When I was done with them all, it made the first one so much better that I went through them again. Now I've listened to them probably two more times. So the Aftermath trilogy as a whole, once you've been through it once, is actually fantastic. Um, we get to the Battle of Jakku by the end. All these things. It's it's important, not necessary. Most people actually probably haven't read the the that trilogy. I I bet you it's one of the lower ones, uh, sales wise or read wise. But you know, really, really good book. Fun to to hear all this bit um, right after Return of the Jedi. I did like that one a lot. So aftermath, if you got the the stomach to handle one really big, probably three hundred eighty four, not really big, three hundred eighty four or something page book, um, and know that you're not gonna love it, get through it. The next one's awesome. The third one's awesome. Then you do it again, and the first one's awesome again. But the big addition really is going to be just where the galaxy is, the politics are, and where people are and how they feel. And then, of course, the Battle of Jakku, um, which comes up in, in TFA, obviously. Now, right after um, is Last Shot. Now, Last Shot I could have put in the, the prequel era with Most Wanted, but Last Shot, I really enjoyed the Han and Lando post-Jedi, post-Aftermath. They even mentioned characters from Aftermath. Uh, Sanjir's husband actually um, helps them out, but I mean this this is a cool book. We had Codebreaker, fucking Ewok. Um, it was it was, a, it was a fun book. I enjoyed Lash Out a lot. It was written by Daniel Jose Older, the guy who uh, did Born in the Storm that I was talking about a minute ago with a uh, certain point of view. So he did a really good job. You would you would jump back though. It took it took a little while to realize what they were doing and how it was working. Um, I did this one straight audiobook, so it did help that they had three different narrators. Um, doing it so that was okay you had one narrator for the uh post return of the jedi then you had one for pre a uh, new hope or pre solo um pre solo movie han pre solo movie lando they all had different narrators so that made it a little easier but at first it was a little hard to follow the first probably maybe five ten chapters but after that it got it got cooking and that was fun and, and just knowing uh the post return of the jedi lando and han their relationship and and probably the the some of the coolest stuff in there was having Ben in there number one because you'd see him meet Lando or not meet but see Lando and get excited about Uncle Wando and all this stuff and that was awesome. Actually, to, to jump back for a second, I, I hate when I do this, but you know I don't plan shit. During aftermath, they also have a bunch of little interludes every couple chapters. Those were the price of admission alone made that worth it. Those were. Those were fantastic. The interludes, you saw Lando before Ben was born, him and Lobot picking a, a present for, for Ben. You get Boba Fett's suit being found in Tatooine. A um, lot of really fucking awesome stuff um, that goes on in Aftermath. So you do want to check that out. And, and like I said, I, I didn't throw that in as a must. I, I do think the Aftermath trilogy is probably a must. Um, now back to Last Shot. Fun read, good read. Necessary, no. Fun, yes. Um, the big thing on there, probably the big thing it added was it talks a lot about the droid sentience and how droids are are more than 
machinery. They're not just toasters, you know. I mean, they're they're sentient. They're they are life. Um, we know that L three in Solo is very about droid rights. Well, this kind of goes into it how they become their own species, you know. And that, that's been talked about in other books. I think they got um, the next level during Solo. This is already talked about how there's a network of droid spies that three PO kind of kind of runs through all that all that stuff. So I, I do think that was that was a good part. That was a neat part. That was a good addition to the lore. So you don't just see the droids. And I don't think we all do. But you don't see the droids as appliances. Fun read. I definitely pick it up. Just, just for Mark Thompson alone doing Lando's voice is, is worth it no matter which book we fucking do. Now the next one we're going to do, and I'm going to be straight with you. This is probably the worst book out of fucking... No, the next one's going to be the worst book. This is one of the worst books out of all of them. And it's The Legends of Luke Skywalker. You basically you follow around Luke as he hears all these stories being told about him and the rebellion and his friends and all this stuff. Anywhere from you know they were they were scam artists or the rebellion made up the uh, Death Star explosion or all that as propaganda to the point where they see Luke pulling down Death Stars with one hand and not thinking and able to you know he's ten feet tall and all this stuff. He's a real life Paul Bunyan to them. You know it, all these things where it makes him huge. I don't want you to go pick this book up. This book is garbage. What you need to understand, what the whole point of the book was, was how the legend of Luke Skywalker spread across the galaxy, and he's bigger than life, and he was important to everybody. You know, a hero to most, you know, the the drunkards sitting there that never did anything with their lives or ex-Imperials saw him differently. But for most people, he's larger than life. He's he's their, their hero. So that what that does is it makes it so important about The Last Jedi when he tells Rey... You know, and I, then I became Luke Skywalker, the legend. Or what am I supposed to do? Walk out there and take on the whole First Order with my laser sword? All that stuff is kind of what people thought about him after Return of the Jedi or after A New Hope even. And that's where he knows he's just a dude with some powers. He can't do everything on his own. He's failed at this point, you know, even with, with Ben. And that's where he is. So that's the important part. So don't go pick the book up. All you need to know is that. That's the important piece that when he went down there in The Last Jedi... He knew at this point he was trying to be a legend. Ray even said, maybe that's what the galaxy name right, right now is a legend. He comes out there and takes on a bunch of walkers, takes on Kylo 101. By the time that gets around the galaxy, he's taking on you know 20 walkers and a Star Destroyer shooting at him. That's how that works, and they start to follow that. That's why the scene with whatever he calls Broom Boy, right? but Tamiri Black at the end, that's why that scene was so important because Luke, across the galaxy that fast, inspired all these people and that's what he's going to do that's what that legend did so that last bit that he did um by showing up on crate and doing what he did what everybody bitches about um how important that was because he just spread his legend out more and he's going to end up helping the rebellion more than he could possibly ever do now another one is uh fuck i'm gonna jump ahead because i want to save the one one of them for last and i should be probably putting them in now but we're going to go to the next one. I'm going to uh, Canto Bite. Canto Bite came out before The Last Jedi, obviously, and he was trying to give us a view of what we were going to see, you know, build up Canto Bite. Oh, wasting my time. I, I would have skipped this book in a heartbeat. I'll never listen to it again. I'll never read it. Um, it's just a bunch of stories of the aliens in there. And no, I, don't get me wrong, certain point of view, a third of that book is the background aliens, but we have a much better relationship with those original background aliens than I ever do or than I ever will with anybody in Cantobite. They just weren't built up enough. Um, it was neat that if you read the book, you'll see them all in Cantobite, whether it be there or in the cut scenes that some of them got cut. But the book is absolutely didn't add shit. 
to the to the movie, to the story, to the lore. It was really just a, I don't say cash grab because that's their job is to to make money, and they don't make m- very much on these books. I'm telling you, they don't oversell anything. But, um, especially Canto Bite. So so skip this one, um, just like the last one. Those are probably my two least favorite in the entire canon. And we're getting there, folks. We're down to the last last two. So the one I'm gonna talk about first before the other one. And again, time wise, it's it's kind of goofy. The other one should come already, but we'll talk about Phasma. Phasma was a was a cool book. Phasma, you learned about um, Captain Cardinal um, and his red gear and how Phasma comes from her planet and she's this ultimate warrior type thing and how uh, cutthroat she is and she'll kill somebody to save her save her own skin, whether you know it could be a family member or whole her entire family you know not to spoil too much but she will fuck people up to save her life or to get higher to make sure she lives and that's just exactly what i get from her and that did help build her character right we even know that her armor um she made it herself right cardinals was given to him to make him special she made hers out of palpatine's old uh naboo star cruiser that's fucking awesome, right? But that pisses off Cardinal because he's the special one. Nobody else should have special stuff, only him, because he was given it. She took it or made her own. But that was cool. Great addition to the lore there. Phasma's personality really comes out. What what her um, what she does and why she does it. it it's it, it's really good. That the Phasma's a fun read. Go for that one. But what I've been waiting for to get to was really um, probably. One of, if not the best books in the entire thing, and it's Claudia Gray again doing um, Bloodline. Now, Bloodline takes place six years before The Force Awakens. Um, at this point, you know, Han is already gone again. They, they make a point about this in, in Aftermath um, and now in Bloodline, you know, and you're 20-some-odd years later. But Han is always off doing his own thing. Leia is always stuck in politics doing her own thing. That's very, very important to know. That was actually happening in Last Shot, too. They made that very clear. They were always busy doing other things, and Ben was alone in Last Shot a lot. But here, Han's off doing race stuff. He'll come back and visit once in a while. Leia's in her politics and all that. And at this point, Ben is off with Luke. He's already been sent off, and they don't see him all the time. So she ended up making a... Friends with the opposite side of they basically have their Democrats and Republicans is what they have their 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 side right, um, but she makes friends with the other side and and that's a cool cool bit there how they found out how to work together. Sometimes you feel like these authors really try to get into today's topics and and show what it could be, but we honestly don't have enough spread of Star Wars readers to to make that make a difference. But they did a good job in this book of not making it overly uh, overly political in the real world, but they did it in their world very well. Claudia Gray is, is so far hit out of the park on everything she's done, so you're not going to hear me really bitch about anyth- anything she decides to. But there's an assassination on Leia, of course, because what they do is they always try to kill, you know, Leia or Padme or whomever. Um, how she's worshipped, not worshipped, but loved. Um, oh, fuck, I just lost the uh, the alien race. Maybe it was like the Klaatu, or I, I forget. Either way, you know, they really dug, and, and they 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 like Leia because she's uh, the Hut Slayer. Kind of like, remember in uh, Air of the Empire, the Nogri called uh, Leia, you know, Lady Vader. The, these guys all love her because she killed Jabba the Hutt, and he had enslaved all of them and all this stuff. So I mean, that was, that was kind of neat. 
Um, but the big things here were again the politics, um, why the new republic wasn't working out, why there had to be a resistance. We see the beginnings of the first order, and it came from there to political parties, really the spawn of both of them. Um, but first order had been kind of whispered about for years. The rebellion came after it was necessary, knowing that something was brewing and nobody could help. And at this point, what happened was it came out that this it took this long. Nobody knew at all that Vader was Leia's real father. So we're talking, I, I've taught 26 years, you know, right around there, um, that nobody knew that. So when that came out, she lost so much trust, so much everything, except for her few supporters like Akbar and, and, and those guys and everybody was that was in the resistance couldn't help but follow her. But that was really cool to see that piece happen. And how at that point, the only person that knew, she even said, was, was Han. Han and Luke. She didn't even think Han told Chewbacca. So he probably didn't even know. But the only people that knew were her, Han, and Luke. And she doesn't even know R2 knows. But he knows everything, obviously. So when that happens in turns, that was a big deal. But she hadn't she hadn't told Ben. You know, and I'm thinking this is right about that time Ben's darkness is going to come out. And we'll probably get a story post-Bloodline about him, I would think, about him hearing the news that Darth Vader was his grandfather. So that's probably the big thing. Is it necessary, this book? Um, I'm going to go with, yeah, I do think this book is necessary just so you see the political landscape and why. Because you're probably wondering when you watch The Force Awakens, why the fuck do I have a resistance? And we have the, you know, the Republic and where the fuck does First Order come from? This helps that. It doesn't fix it all. It doesn't fill in every hole. I still think that's coming after the movies are done. But uh, this is a a must read, required read um, to kind of help out. So I do love that. I love everything Claudia Gray's done. I mentioned like four times, but Master and Apprentice, when she does the Qui-Gon Obi-Wan book, that's that's got to be gold. Um, it will be the first time I've seen her write something as with the male leads, with the male protagonist, but I'm sure she can knock it out of the park. Shouldn't be a problem. But, uh, you know, I hope you guys, you know, if, if that did something for you. I know not everybody has a chance to read it all, and I don't mean to act like in the beginning I was like anybody that can read. I know you guys can read. Some people are just busy. I'm busy as fuck. But I'm talking about these trolls online that say I shouldn't need a book or I'm not going to read a book and watch a cartoon. Well, fuck you guys, you know. Not that I'm just saying anybody's not a real fan for doing it because it takes a lot of effort, time, and money to to stay up with all this stuff. But they give us so much knowledge, so much opportunity to to learn and read and do things. You got to take advantage of it. That's why I love doing this. That's why I loved the EU before, and that's why I love this now. Now, I will make that point again. I've said it on both shows before. It is time for this canon to step up. Again, we noticed that most of these books were background, filler-type stuff, background-type stuff. We need to move forward on the stories in the new canon to keep people interested because I'll read them all, and I like the ones I like, and I don't like the ones I don't like. But we need something big and grand. Set me a, I think that's what Aftermath was supposed to be, and it just didn't come off that way, right? Um, and it, But it, the sad thing is it's probably the closest thing to it. But I need another Thrawn trilogy, not... Not a Thrawn trilogy, not Air the Empire, exact, but I mean something like that, something along those lines. The Yuuzhan Vong War. Um, I need um, a Bane trilogy, stuff like that. That was so epic that you could have made a movie out the next day. That's what we need. These are more. All these books are more like uh, TV episodes, uh, TV seasons, things like that, more so than big motion picture like the old things used to be. So that's the one thing I'll give the the EU diehards that that just hate the canon. That's the one thing you did have some epic shit. But this canon stuff, since it's so consistent, it, it it brings everything in, 
and they all tie together because you get mentions of each book. The the story group gets with the authors, and they give the authors full reign to write whatever the fuck they want. But what they do is they add, they give them like a list of things. Can you put this in somewhere? Can you put this planet here? Can you put this character here? And then they'll use it so they can use it later too, where it just ties them all in. And I think that is fucking ingenious, and it's it's well done on the uh, the story group side, the Disney side, the Del Rey books, the the authors, and you know, and mostly Mark Thompson for for bringing them all to life. Um, but you know, it's it's, it's good stuff, guys, and. I hope this helps out. I know everybody doesn't have time to read. I know a lot of the guys, even on our show, just wait for me to kind of go through them and do our reviews on the show. But I wanted to give you guys a one-shot. What do you need to read? What does it bring to the lore, um, if anything? And what, is, what 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 ties it into to the overall galaxy? So I know I'm uh, I'm way over on my time. I'm like at an hour and ten minutes, and that's not like me to go that far. But I hope you guys enjoyed that. Now I'm going to ask a favor. There's a point where Sarlacc and Hoth, we've got we've got a lot less listens lately. Part of that's me. I think I haven't been advertising on it, on the internet as much. But I need you guys, you know, if you can, share the site with your friends, share the show with your friends if you enjoy it at all. Talk about it. Share our show on Instagram or just tell your friends in in person. Whatever you gotta do, try to help us out. We don't make money on this, man, but we do it for fun. But we want to share our knowledge. We want to share our passion. We want to share with everybody what the fuck's going on. And when fake news comes up. Who the hell are you going to listen to? They'll give you the real shit, right? Everybody else jumps on that fake news. We're the ones that stay on the real stuff. That's why we don't post every fucking day because we're not just going to make shit up or roll with some jackass's new rumor. We stick to the real stuff. Though I am going to start posting more um, soon with more facts, more questions, more polls, more info on us, more ads for us um, just to listen. But I'm not going to play with this uh, fake news bullshit like everybody else. But... With that said, I hope you guys uh, enjoy the show. Um, tune into this one every every other week, and then of course the main show, um, Hoth Talk. Or fuck me, sideways, right? The main show, Sarlacc Digest, with me and uh, Darth Moocher, Marco, Ernie the Fallen Fett, uh, Scott Kruger, and then Fanboy Mike. You know, catch us all on that show. We 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 do have a lot of fun. We're breaking down all the movies right now, hitting all the news. Um, I wouldn't quite call it Mystery Science Theater 3000, but sometimes it gets close. You might think we're ripping on those prequels, but, man, I love them. So uh, if I if I am you know, ripping on them a little bit, it's all out of love. But you're going to understand when we hit the original trilogy, I'm going to hit those just as hard because they have just as many holes as any prequel or sequel trilogy. People just don't look, like to look at it that way. But, uh, again, thanks for joining me. I'll talk to you again in two weeks. Uh, send me feedback on Instagram. Send me some topics you want to hear. You want to tell me to fuck off or say something you don't, you know, you don't agree with me on? Go ahead, I'll I'll call you out on the show and I will uh, rip you to bits. Cause guess what? It's my fucking show. All right. So until next time. I'll see you in hell. Paul, what I was thinking is that 
we need to cut a promo. Yeah, I've been working on some ideas. It's just I don't really know where to go with it exactly. What if I got like a filter where we could just kind of talk normally and we can have kind of a script, but then yes. I can I can like filter it so that one of us will have one kind of voice and then one will have the other. I want to put my request, make me as Freddy Krueger. Can you do that? Maybe instead of the voices, what if we tried to like write a skit, develop a whole thing and we have a backstory and, but well, I don't know. That might be kind of too long. So well, like screeching cars and explosions and fireworks. and Yeah. And, yeah. Well, what about, I like it. Maybe instead of, you know, doing a filter, we could just like reach out to Robert England himself and maybe Ooh. he can, you know, just record a promo for us sometime. Do you think, I, I mean, we I, might have to like raise some money. We can do a Kickstarter and we could just throw it out to like Robert England and, you know, sure, just, sure. just all kinds of actors. And, and I think people will do that. I think. Sure. Why not? Well, you know, what? I don't know. Maybe we're overthinking this whole thing. How about if we just tell people where to find us? I like that. You can find us at Who Will Survive on iTunes, Stitcher, on the Legion Podcast Network, and on the Raw Live and Unedited Podcasting Network. Also on Facebook and Instagram under the same name. Oh, wait, can we do it underwater oh, with that, piranhas killing me? That and would kind of be brutal. And if that doesn't work, then you can do the regular promo. All right. Well, just get in the water and I'll go get some fish. All right, cool. Join the Nerds with Attitude podcast each week, now part of the Raw Live Unedited Network, featuring the Nerds with Attitude podcast. Covering pop culture, nerd news, TV shows, movies, comics no and toys also listen to nerd tunes with scott and kevin movie reviews with president rob kevin interviews and more and remember keep it nerdy kevin intermuse nope that's the show about cats i talk to cats in a world with far too many star wars podcasts comes one more star wars podcast The Sarlacc Digest, a bi-weekly show covering Star Wars news, toys, book reviews, fan theories, and new canon discussion. All wings report in. Join the Sarlacc Digest hosts as they bring you knowledge and lore. Man, whenever the Yuzon Vong dropped the moon on Chewbacca's head, it, it, I shat a Holy tear, shit, dude. What? Not f***ing canon. Jason and Jaina Solo. Why is it so hard for everybody to understand? The Passion. So when Luke took off Vader's helmet, you could just see the sadness going in, the lighting and the, and the tears forming, and it's just, the, the soundtrack just starts raising. And uh, then, you know it's a movie, right? What? The fandom. Okay, so I have my Darth Vader camping chair for the line, my brand new exclusive Luke and Leia vans, my Star Wars pop vinyl wristband that I just got. Oh, did I tell you that I was going to get my next... Uh... And the collecting world. I got the orange card of figures. I got the green card. I got the red card. Okay, do you have circles on hand? No circles, half circle? Half circles? Half circle. You got Palpatine Blue Saber? I do, and the barge. What the f***? No, not the barge. The Sarlacc Digest, bringing you line talk and digesting Star Wars topics over a thousand years. Find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're proud members of the RLU, Raw Live and Unedited Podcasting Network. Find us, rawlivepod.com. Uh, Pigs and Flicks is uh, part of the Raw Live and Unedited Podcasting Network, which means you can listen to the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or the listening platform of your choice. Or you can go directly to rawlivepod.com. Yay!